Words from the Hills, reconfigure your life, change your heart, and prepare you for all that God has destined you to be. Welcome to the Hills Church. So, um, this is what God has been saying to me, come out of hiding. And that's the word I have for you this morning. I'm going to be reading from Luke 18, first of all. So there's a lot of scripture we're going to read. I'm going to be reading from Luke 18, um, from verse 9. It says, then Jesus told the story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I'm a sinner. Um, there are two men here. And at every point in our lives, we're one of these two men. In fact, in our lives, we're often one man more than the other. And guess which man we are? Which one are we? The tax collector, God bless you, I'm not. I'm the Pharisee. Very judgmental. Always looking at people. You know, when you have a prayer life, you sort of look at other, ah, you didn't pray this morning. Now, wow, what kind of believer are you? We may not say it to God, but it runs in our thoughts all the time. You know, you sit down in church, you say, look at that one, we are fasting. He's posting bread on Instagram. <laughs> This generation of believers, may the Lord have mercy on you people. You people are so lax. Anything just goes in this church. This pastor will just be hugging everybody. Can't even suspend some people. They will just come to church. Even to cover your breast is a problem. Just bring it. God loves everybody. We're very, very judgmental. Church, that's how we've become. And when you're judgmental, you forget that once you were that person who was in sin. Especially when you have been a Christian as old as I've been. You know, my Christianity is even older than some of you by your year. Do you understand? If I say, how old are you? You tell me, okay, you're something, maybe 20s. I've been a Christian before you were born. And over time, it's just become habitual, you know? Just, yeah. Sisters, to just be wearing trousers. Don't read Bible. There's always something. There's always something. And we forget that the grace of God carries us. You know, some, we were, I was sharing with someone someday and we're talking about something, you know, somebody had fallen into sin. The worst sin, hey, just commit fornication or adultery. God help you, carry belly inside it. And he said to me, he said, you're yeah, a very moral person. And I said, shouldn't Christians be? He said, not everybody has that grace. Some people struggle. I'm like, ah, a believer, be struggling with sexual sin. How? You're not born again. 
Then I got married. I got married in March. I had my son in December. And of course, my fellow judgmentas said they're counting. <laughs> April, May, June, July, August. It's nine months old. And some actually asked me. And at that point, I realized how much damage that does. So much damage. And so I then started to pray. Why am I bringing this up this year? Because over time, every time I have a thought, the Lord just says to me, you're being judgmental again. Can't repent. I met a young lady who, she had purple hair. Had long earrings, you know. And then she was prophesying over me. I was looking at her hair. Eh? <laughs> I said, Holy Ghost, with this purple hair. But she was so accurate in her prophecy. Very, the sketch was, you know, short. Very accurate. You know, and the Lord said to me, that's my vessel. It's not your vessel. It's my vessel. I make the decision. I choose. And he said, guess what? He said, I love her. He said, I love her. Like, hey. Fool my magsy. <laughs> Cover my head. Everything. The prophecy is not. Man, the girl was on fire. That's what judgment does. And oftentimes we're like that. Subconsciously. May come from the way you've been raised. You know. Your background. This is how you've been trained. This is how you've been brought up. It may come from your experiences. You know. People believe that because they have walked a road. Everyone else should know that road. And align. You know. I've seen angels. Why are you not seeing angels? Perhaps you're not praying enough. You're not. Can you be in the choir? You have one angel. You have not seen him. You're not. So in our thoughts, you know, we're constantly evaluating. We're measuring people. People who don't belong to you. You're measuring people. You're weighing them. You're putting them on balances, on scales. And you find them wanting. But you need to understand that people don't belong to you. They belong to God. And every time you judge someone, or every time somebody comes under a judgment, what happens? I used to be very loud and, you know, very vibrant in church. And, and when they came and said to me, come. Is it not much you married? He said, yes. I was even wondering where the discussion was going. Are you had your child in December? He said, yes. Are you people sure? How dare you associate me, the chief judge? <laughs> How dare you associate me with something I've used to judge another person? But you know, the fact that this thought was in the minds of people just reduced me. And I went into hiding. 
because each time I used to be in the choir, so each time I took up the microphone, I'm looking at people and I'm like, what are they thinking? What are they thinking? Each time they say, oh, come and pray, I'm praying and I'm like, they didn't say amen. What are they thinking? And then I started to retreat. And each time people face that, they go into hiding. You see that Pharisee? He's us. The Pharisee in their day was the church goer. He's us. He's the, you know, the church people. The real church people. Saved, born again. But the church people who forget that were once like the tax collector. Guess what? In their time, the greatest sin that you can commit is to be a tax collector. I'm trying to equate it. I don't know what to use to equate it now. <laughs> no, at least you I pity the KPMG people that are here now. You know? Yahoo, all terror bandits, you know, people. It was the greatest crime. Let me tell you why. If you read Matthew 18, right? In Matthew 18, Jesus begins to explain to them how to resolve conflict. So he says, if your brother upsets you, just, you know, if you and Mary are quarreling, go to Pastor Mo, call Pastor Nigel, let them resolve it. No, first, tell Mary, you know, this thing you did, I don't like it. Da, 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 da. She doesn't listen. Then you go to the elders. So you call Pastor Mo, call Pastor Nigel, see what this person did, let them resolve it. If she doesn't listen, do you know what the Bible says? Treat her as a tax collector. Do you understand? Break the relation. Treat her as you would a tax, an outcast. That's the word. So a tax collector was an outcast. He wasn't supposed to be there. Was a very sinful man. And that was why the Pharisee could look at him and, you know, begin to compare. That thing. You chief sinner. Ah, thank God I'm not like that too. And many times we do that. You go on Instagram, you have seen them doing stuff. What do you say? Ha! Huh? But you're looking, sure. Ha! <laughs> huh? These people. May the Lord have mercy on your soul. Look at this one. See what she even had. God, thank you. I'm saved. And it depletes our ability to reach out to people. Every time. Depletes our ability. You were not saved to occupy space. At all. So as he pulls you out, what do you do? But you can't pull someone who is hiding. And a lot of us are hiding. So it doesn't matter the judgment. It doesn't matter what you've been through. 2022, God says, come out of hiding. I don't know if I'm the only one who just senses this urgency in the spirit. But there's such an urgency. It's like you've been on that part of the racetrack where you're, where you're doing on your marks. It's time to go. 
And it's time to go with speed. And I was saying to the Lord, I said, God, I want to be vibrant this year. I want to do this. I want to do that. He said, you have to first heal your soul. Your soul has to be fine. And he said, if your soul is fine, the rest of you will be fine. You'll be mentally healthy. You'll be physically healthy. Your finances will be okay. Your work will be okay. But guess what? Heal your soul. You must work on your soul. So I'm going to take us through, you know, people who've been hiding and look at why. In the hopes that as we look at them, we will identify ourselves because even as I'm speaking I sense that many people are beginning to lock the gates the door of their hearts that is that thing that I'm keeping inside me you want to bring it out today no it will not happen but we have prayed that the word of God will run swiftly and when the word of God comes the Bible calls it a two-edged sword it will bring deliverance it will bring deliverance. I'm reading from Genesis 3. So from the beginning of Genesis 3, um, there's a lot of scripture, so I want to skip some of it. So from the beginning, if you read through, when you go home, please read through Genesis 3 because it's such an interesting story, you know, and we find Adam and Eve, they've been having fellowship in the garden with God. Then Eve encounters the serpent and introduces Adam to the serpent and they eat of the tree the Lord said they should not eat. And then in verse 8, it says, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. And it's interesting because they could recognize him. They could recognize his voice. Why? They've been having fellowship with him just like we have. So we know him. We can recognize him. They heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And the Lord said to me, every time I say to you, where are you? You're hiding. Every time God comes, Sandra, where are you? You're hiding. When we talk about backsliding, we think that, oh, I fell into sin. No. You're just not where you should be. You're not where you should be. And the Lord kept saying to me, where are you? And he's saying that to many of us today. Where are you? The reason he's saying, where are you? Is because at the appointed time, he's to meet you somewhere. But you're not there. It has nothing to do with whether you fell into a sin or the other. No. You're just not where you should be. Where are you? And Adam said, I heard you walking in the garden. And so I hid. Why? I was naked. And because I was naked, I was afraid. But guess what? He had been naked since. All the time God had been coming to have fellowship with him, he was naked. Suddenly somebody judges you. And that issue that, you know, I mean, you've been like that with God. All of a sudden, somebody brings it to light. 
and you retreat. You're no longer where you should be. A lot of us are hiding because we're afraid. And I pray that this morning that fear will break. Fear will break because you understand that God loves you. He loves you. Naked. In fact, roll in the mud inside the nakedness and come. He loves you. We're so afraid to be naked. Ah, if the Spirit of God says, ID, I'm going to display your thoughts on this. Ah, no. Let me die first. <laughs> Do you understand? Is there anybody here who's chest out and say, oh yeah, God, put my own. Please raise your hand. Let me bow for you. We're all afraid. But understand this. You see that thing that you fear? God doesn't fear it. He's not afraid that you're naked. He's not afraid that you're broken. He's not afraid that you're struggling with pornography. Understand it. He's not afraid. He's not. He's not afraid that at the turn of a heart, when things get a bit difficult, you will deny him. He knows. But guess what? He's not afraid. He's not afraid that you cheat, you steal, you lie. He's not afraid. In fact, he came because of that. If you were righteous, he wouldn't come. He came because he knows you will fall. He knows you will falter. That's why he came. He's not afraid of your weakness. And because he's not afraid of your weakness, there is no reason to hide. And you know the funniest bit of it? We're all hiding and posturing for each other. You know? We're all posture. Just come out. Ah, ah Pastor Heidi, yeah. You're fasting 30 days. Yeah. Early morning, you've made a bar. But we're posturing. So that people will think we're okay. We've become a nation of people where the image is more important than the likeness. Truly being him. It's not as important as the image we want people to see. I'm a woman of God. I'm strong. As strong as you are, you do not cure COVID. Lord said, who told you? And you know, the funny thing, they made covers for themselves. The minute they, their eyes opened and they were like, what? They started doing what? Isn't that a lot like us? People mustn't know. How can people know? 
They mustn't know. But God in his mercy, what did he do? He did what? He covered them. So a lot of us, we hide because we're afraid. And then Gideon. Gideon is such an interesting guy. I love him. He was hiding. And Gideon was hiding because he had been tormented for too long. I just love that prayer that Pastor Mo prayed this morning. One, the word of God should run swiftly. And two, deliverance should come. A lot of people have been tormented. They can't even say the things they are going through. Some in marriages. So it becomes, um, how will I put it? How do you open your mouth and say that the person you married is the person that is tormenting you? Do you understand? So what do we do? We make up. So when people are talking about husbands, you bring your own story. Ah, me, my own. <laughs> he bought me bone straight. <laughs> Meanwhile, the bone straight came after some slaps. Broken bones. You hide it. Put dark glasses on. Ah, why are you wearing dark? Oh, it's, Ch it's Chanel. The eyes are red. The heart is broken. The heart is bleeding. A lot of us are tormented at work. We're under cruel taskmasters. A lot of things we can't talk about. Some of us have signed contracts that you can't get yourself out of, but even the contract itself torments you every day. And so like Gideon, you hide. In public, you're all smiles. If your soul is not healthy, your life will not be healthy. You come out in public, you're smiling. But your soul is enduring such cruelty. You know, did you watch um, King, of, King of, I think it was King of Boys? You know how she would flog herself. Some of us are the ones punishing ourselves. I don't know what it is you've been through. But you think, you know, you haven't been punished enough. So you are the one hurting yourself. And you're hiding it. Nobody knows. Just gone through really cruel experiences. So they hid themselves in caves. And we're like that. We're hiding. And then, next, next one, please. Um, this is the one that amazed me the most, Elijah. So I want to read it. First Kings 19, when Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the God strike me and even kill me. If by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. 
Let's be honest, is this fair? Was Elijah not a man of God? He told the prophets of Baal, we had a deal. Who will bring down fire first? Your God could not bring down fire. My own brought down fire. Then somebody actually threatens you. No, it's very annoying. I would have just called down the fire. You know that fire? Why didn't he just call it down? Fire, consume Jezebel, consume Ahab. So that everybody will know that. I find myself here many times. When things happen, I'm like, God, this is not right. Give me power. Because if God gives me power, there are some people, they, they shouldn't be alive. The ones who gave me positive COVID test. Be alive. No, cannot be. I'm doing God's work. Do you understand? You can't do that to me. I'm doing God's work. Elijah ran and he hid himself. And many times we're like that. God, I've fasted, I've prayed. Why are you not saying yes to this? So what do we do? Not doing again. Not going to do it again. Come for prayer meeting. What's the point? Prayed and prayed. He didn't answer. So not praying anymore. Oh, we're fasting in January. How about the other Januaries we fasted? January 2020. Did we not fast? We did. Did COVID not come? It came. Did you not shut down my business? It did. Ain't fasting no more. There's no point. I have served the Lord. Elijah was, he ran. He was afraid and fled for his life. He went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. Ah. There's nothing that can pain you in this world as the thing that God does to you. I'm telling you. The ones that people are doing, you can't. The one you think that is God that did, that one can pain you. He was pained. Was he calling down fire for his own renown? No. All that thing he did, he said, the God that answered by fire. Let him be God. Why was he doing it? So that the children of Israel will turn back to God. That was why he was doing it. Not so that they will turn to him. Then after doing that, one Jezebel. And God allows her. I know it's confusing. God allows her. Can you imagine? That maybe you are praying and fasting for someone. You have been praying and fasting for the person and the person just does one thing to you. What will you do? That's the end of you. Hellfire, it has been calling you since. <laughs> Let me just leave you. I've had enough. That's what he said to God. God, you know what? I've had enough, enough, not doing it again. 
Not doing it. You're unfair. How many of us have said that to God? I usually tell him, you know, if me, I was God, this thing I'm asking you for, I will do it for you. I won't even shake. <laughs> but you, I will fast, I will pray, I will do vigil. You know they shake. I don't get it. Elijah did not get it. He said, God is enough. He do. Let me just die. It's enough. He lay down. He slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel told, touched him and told him, get up and eat. And you see, it's so interesting that even when you're in that place where you're angry at God, he's still looking after you. The man was ready to die. God sent angels and then sent food. <laughs> get up and eat. So he looked around and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. So as far as he was concerned, <laughs> you, think, you think it's food that will solve this matter. Hey, let me see, just leave me. I've told you, I want to die. The angel of the Lord came again and touched him. Get up, eat some more. The journey ahead will be too much for you. So it's like everything he's saying, eh? It's not even in God's register. Die how? There's work. Eat. So that you will have the energy to move on. There's work to be done. So he got up, ate, drank, and the, the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days, 40 nights. To Mount Sinai, yeah, because he's a man of God. So even when you're angry, the things that, you know, sometimes you're angry, you say, God, I'm not even going to talk to you again. The next thing, you're humming a song, great are you. I want to sing that song. Let me sing, you want to bamba. <laughs> not talking to God. So as you're trying to bamba, the next is say, for the Lord is good. <laughs> That's how he had been. He couldn't just shake it off. Even in that place. Then he came to a cave where he spent the night and the Lord said, what are you doing here? It's the same question. Where are you? Every time God asks you that question, it's because you're not where you should be. Where are you? What are you doing here? And I was training one of my tantrums one day. Just, you know, God, you have to compensate me. You should have done this and not do it. Uh, look at me here. Lord said, what are you doing there? My friend, get up. I have people you need to pray for. Like, but I'm, I'm vexed. Be vexed later. Pray. What are you doing? It's the same question God is asking us. What are you doing here? Twice, if you read that scripture, I'm, so I'm skipping some verses. He said, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty. Elijah's heart was in the right place. Everything he did, he did to serve the Lord. He said, zealously, I have served you. But the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you. They have turned down your altars. They have killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left. 
Sometimes you think it's just you. It's not just you. We're all in this together. When you're struggling, understand that I am struggling too. When you're going through a dry spell, you can't pray. Guess what? Understand that I'm going through a dry spell too. It's not just you. We're struggling. We're struggling. You're not alone. You're not the only one the devil is running after. You're not alone facing temptations. You're not alone struggling. You're not alone. You can't fast. You can't pray. You can't seem to open the Bible and read it. Guess what? I'm struggling too. I don't pray naturally. There's nothing in my system that just tells me, hey, pray. Then I jump up. I'm happy. Ah, prayer. How I love it so much. No. I'm struggling. There is no day the flesh wakes me up and says, today we're fasting. It's not possible. I'm struggling. I'm fighting myself not to just sit in front of Netflix for 24 hours. I'm struggling. I'm struggling when I go on YouTube and I want to, you know, listen to a message. And the first thing that pops up is something I should not be looking at. And I'm like, should I click it? Should I not click it? Nobody will know I'm alone here. <laughs> I'm struggling. I'm struggling. And that is why when they say, hold somebody's hand and pray, do what? Hold it. You're not alone. Don't be alone. Don't go hide in a cave all by your lonesome. Don't. Don't. And even when you are alone, maybe on a retreat or and you face a struggle, don't, you know, man up and want to fight it by yourself. You must be very strong. Because at such times, I have people on speed dial I start calling. One of them is laughing at me now. Pastor Na is on speed dial. Just call immediately. Pray for me. Pray for me. Pray for me. Pray for me. A wounded man doesn't treat himself. Don't be alone. One more. Ah, no, not one more. This one was interesting. So some of us are like this. So Jesus is hanging on the cross. One thief on the left, one thief on the right. At least by that time, as a thief on the cross, naked, you'd have humbled yourself that they don't catch me, Sha. Nothing to hide again, Abby. But what did he do? He was coughing. He was mocking. Are you not the king of the Jews? Are you not Jesus? Deliver yourself, deliver us. The other thief had to say, guy, what's wrong with you? They caught us. We are thieves. You didn't do anything, but we are. How many of us 
just openly take responsibility for our wrongdoing. How many, how many of you can go to someone that you hurt and say, Pastor Nigel, I did wrong, I'm sorry. The Nigerian way is to have fun. <laughs> Don't chop. Husband and wife, the husband will say, why are you squeezing your face now? Somebody cannot play with you. Small play, just squeeze. I'm sorry, apparently it's not in the Nigerian dictionary. It's not part of our vocabulary. I was wrong. Can you say it now? I'm sorry. Say, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Have you lost weight? Have you lost any weight? Honestly. Because as you're sitting here, there are people waiting for you to say that. And you need to understand how powerful it is that that thing you say can heal someone's soul. I was wrong. I'm sorry. We don't say it. We just continue. You'll be keeping malice months. Then when you're tired of the malice, you just say, hey, Pastor Mohana, where are you? Meanwhile, I have not been talking to him since. He knows you haven't been talking to him. He knows there's a grudge. He knows there are issues to be resolved. But apparently, we don't think that those issues are important enough. We just like to scoff off things, you know, just, it's not a big deal. You have been caught. Take responsibility. We'd rather hide. And guess what? This nation, we joke about everything. Nothing is, nothing. There's no sacred ish. Nothing, no. The, when I gave up was during Ebola. Not even this, you know, during Ebola when people were really scared. Somebody then did this cartoon, whatever, of a doctor using catapult to give somebody injection. At that point, I was like, oh, God. We don't take anything. We hide under jokes. We hide. Everything is a joke. It's penny yo. <laughs> You just be laughing, your father, your mother. <laughs> Parents are not sacrosanct, you know? Want to marry somebody from another tribe. You first of all abuse the tribe, but you are getting married there. They are just a play. Nothing, nothing is exempt. How do you really feel about a situation? Like, not pay me. Not paying me like that. You're not paying you like that, but you're harboring unforgiveness. Didn't touch me. I mean, no, I'm a strong guy. But you're harboring, if they give you a knife, you would. But it did not pay you like that. Hiding. We scoff off everything. We're like that thief on the cross. Caught. Guilty. But unable to take responsibility. 
Res- taking responsibility brings your deliverance. It does. To look at yourself and say to yourself, ah, I messed up. That was what the second thief did. And that was why Jesus said tonight, guess what? The minute you take that last breath, you are with me. Taking responsibility. I made a mistake. I see it at work all the time. People mess up. They'll be covering the mess. You know, and as they're trying to cover the mess, they're creating more messes. Then when it becomes this ginormous mess, that even the company cannot handle. They will not, <laughs> I don't know where it started from. You know. It started with you. And we go back and we feel it's okay. You know why we feel it's okay? <laughs> they not catch me. A sharp. Sharp guy. So we hide. And then one more, and then we'll pray. David is an amazing guy. If there was any sin to be committed in the world, trust that David will commit it. And yet, God said, you see this guy? It's my person. It's my personal person. How many of you have BFFs? That's David and God. Why did God love him? Why? Why him? When kings were going to war, as a king, David should have gone to war. Instead, he was just chilling in front of Netflix. When Netflix was buffering, he opened his window, just take a stroll. As he was strolling, saw one fine babe. Let's <sighs> get fine. And the only reason he could see her was because she lived in the house of one of his captains. Because those were the houses that surrounded him. So those were people that protected him. Has anybody betrayed you? They're not betray you reach this one. So he saw the wife of a man who was laying his life for David. Uriah was that man that said, if you want to get to David, kill me first. Me. Kill me. You can't have him. David saw his wife. Man, this girl. So there was no way he didn't know. Because he sent people to go and get her now. There was no way he would have told the people. There was one woman that was naked. She was baffing. If you count the houses, one, two, three, four, that four, mm-mm, he knew. Go to Uriah's house. Tell her to come. And she came. And she slept with him. And you know, when you have finished the sleeping that you should not be sleeping, your sense will come back. So when his sense came back, the plan was, how do we then hide? How do you hide Belena? has happened. In nine months, there shall be the fruit of your labor. Your hard work has borne fruit. He sat down and he thought, how do I get out of this? And many of us are like that. 
constantly scheming. How do I get out of that? Send your husband back. But this is Uriah with so much respect, honor for his king. So David fed him, fed him, gave him wine, tried to get him drunk so that he would go home and sleep with his wife. God forbid. The ark of the Lord is at the site of war. I should go and sleep with woman. Stayed in front of the palace gate. So David's spies told him he didn't go. It was such an elaborate plan. Well laid out plan. Why will Uriah not fall for it? Was an honorable man. Honor doesn't mean you wear a crown. He was such an honorable man. He feared God, not just by his words. He feared God by his lifestyle. It's not done. I'm a warrior. First, I don't even understand why you invited me because you haven't said anything. Just be giving me food, giving me wine. People are dying. I'm here eating food, drinking wine. Why? They are saying, go home to sleep. No. When they tried and tried and tried, that did not work. What did he do? Wrote a letter. Put him in front. Not only put him in front, put him in the fiercest part of the battle. Because in those days, the captain will strategize the war and he will gauge everybody's strength. You go here. Okay, you, you are very strong. Go here. You go to that side. Okay, these people will back you up. But here is the commander getting a letter from the king. And he must obey the king. Says, put him in the fiercest part of the battle. And even in that fiercest part, what do you do? Withdraw the backup. It was sure death. I'm sure Uriah knew. There is no fighting soldier who will go back. And you are fighting. First of all, they've changed your... We're sending you to the heat. Don't worry, Uriah. We're sending you with people, but you're going to the heat of the battle now. So he goes. And then as you're fighting, you turn back. Your men are gone. There was no way out of it. Please tell me, how do you forgive that kind of person? How does God look at David and say, my personal person. How many of you have been betrayed? You don't even talk to the people anymore. You don't greet them. You don't. Uriah knew. And so here is Nathan who comes in and says to, okay, there's a man who has one sheep and one who has plenty and the one who has plenty is taken from the one who has one. David was enraged. You know, there's sometimes we hear stories, you're like, what? It takes the spirit of God to tell you, you're like that. It's you. He was enraged. And Nathan said to him, that's you. Because you know, as a king, if he wanted the most beautiful woman in the kingdom, they would have gotten her for him. Legally. Nathan said, David, that's you. What was David's excuse? Did he have an excuse? No. Did not have an excuse. And that's why God loved him. 
David was the man who danced naked. David's heart was constantly exposed. There were no boundaries, no barriers. There were no places in his heart that God could not go. His heart was a roadmap. He left it open. David had no door, no gate, no key, no lock. Nothing was limited. Nothing was off limits. He gave God everything. And he said, have mercy on me, oh God. He started to cry. Read Psalm 51. That was David's cry when Nathan spoke to him. He said, God, have mercy on me because your love is unfailing. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sin. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. I recognize my rebellion. How many of us are like that? He said, God, I can see it. I recognize my rebellion. He said, day and night, it haunts me. When I get up, what I've done haunts me. When I go to sleep, what I've done haunts me. It haunts me day and night against you, oh God. You only have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. And you will be right in what you say. Any judgment you give to me, God, it's okay. I did wrong. Any judgment you bring, it's okay. But please, God, purify me. Make me clean. Give me my joy again. Break me, then cause me to rejoice. David was the king who had options. Pastor Mo was talking about it. He was giving options. What did he say? I'd rather fall into the hands of the living God. His heart was open. He kept it unhidden. He says, whatever you do, whatever you do, the punishment, God, bring it, I'll take it. He said, but whatever you do, don't banish me from your presence. Don't take your spirit away from me. That was David's prayer. How many of us can look at our lives and say, God, whatever it is you want to take from me, God, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Whatever it is you want to take, God, even if I have nothing, let me have your spirit. Don't banish me from your presence. How can you be okay living a life that does not involve entering into the presence of God? What a life. What's in it? How can you be okay? How can you be okay with a life that inhibits you from coming to God, from coming to your Father, from staying in His presence, from laying before Him, from saying to Him, I'm weak, I need you, from saying to Him, I've sinned, cleanse me, from saying to Him, God, help me. How can you be satisfied with a life? It's not a life. It's not a life. It's not a life. There is no life without the Spirit of the living God. 
He said, you do not desire a sacrifice or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. And we're like that. Each time you mess up, you bring a fat envelope. Let me put a big offering. God understands. Let me give a tithe. God understands. No. That is not his desire. What is his desire? He says a broken heart. I want your heart. Stop hiding it. The cattle on a thousand hills, they belong to me, the Lord says. What can you give to me that will quench my hunger or my thirst? The hunger and the thirst of the living God is you. It is not your possessions. It is not what you can give him. God's hunger is you. That you will come exposed. You will come open. You do not desire a sacrifice, so I would offer you one. It would be so easy if what God wanted was a sacrifice. I would go to the market, I'll get 10 rams. I will kill them. If he wants Ashwebi, I will buy it. What does he want? He wants you. You're his thirst quencher. You are the one who satisfies his hunger. It is you God wants. It is you God wants. And God is calling out to you today. Guess what? You know one day, God came out of hiding. God came out of hiding one day. In the past, nobody could enter into the holy place. There was a veil, a curtain. It was a thick veil. Nobody could peep through it and see what happened in the holy place. Only the priest could go in. And even that priest could go in only once a year. And they will tie a rope and put bells on him. So that if he missed his way and he died in there, they would pull him out. Nobody could go in. But God so longed to be with you. What did he do? When Jesus died, the veil was done. And he said, Ibim, come. Come, Enoch, come. Heidi, come. Victor, come. God is saying to you, come. Come out of hiding. Come. The veil has been turned. Come in. I'm waiting for you. God needs you. The Bible says he greatly desires your beauty. I wish you would see this morning. How God is hungry for you. How much He desires you. I want us to pray. I don't know what's holding you. I don't know what it is you think you've done that would make God turn His back on you. I don't know if anybody has messed up, I have. But I know he loves me. The holy place is open for you this morning. I want you to come. I want you to come. I want you to come. This is not a time to say, oh, if you need prayer, we all do. 
We all do. I want you to raise your voice this morning. I want you to pull down the barriers. If you cover up a sin, it will never go away. If you excuse it, it will never go away. It will never let you be healthy. If you cover up, it will never go away. So God is asking you to come. He says, come to me all ye who are weary, who are burdened, you are heavy laden. There's something bothering you. There's a habit. There's an addiction. There's something you did in the past. Nobody knows. There's unforgiveness. There's a weakness. There's something you've been battling it on your own. Today we open the veil. The veil is open for you this morning. The Lord says come. The Lord says come. Thanks for listening to this message from the Hills Church. Our mission is to love people, connect with family, and touch the world. Learn more on our website at www.ecclesiahills.org or email us at hello at ecclesiahills.org.